This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 21st, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Oregon has passed statewide rent control. So if we follow the money, who benefits from these restrictions on rental properties? Cato's Ryan Bourne says some of the big beneficiaries are people who already own homes, who do not plan on renting them at all. Describe to me what Oregon has done with statewide rent control. Well, Governor Kate Brown last week signed legislation for the first statewide rent control um, law in the whole of the United States. Ostensibly, this is made up of three major components. Um, The first is to cap statewide rent increases to a maximum of 7% per year above the consumer price index, which is currently running at around 3%. So let's say for argument's sake, capping statewide rent increases for rentable accommodation to a maximum of around 10% per year. Uh, The second part is um, new housing construction would be exempt from that cap for the first 15 years from when the controls are introduced. And the third component is that in order to improve economic security for tenants, the legislation uh, effectively outlaws no-cause evictions um, except during the first year of your tenancy. So after that first year, um, landlords can can end your tenancy only for qualified reasons, such as wanting to convert the property, repair or renovate the property, sell it or have their family move into it. Um, now, that, that component is arguably more important than the rent control proposal itself. But I think combined, what the legislators were aiming for here is to um, to really stop what is known as economic eviction. That's landlords, um, in effect, um, removing tenants through raising rents very, very quickly or um, or pushing them out for reasons other than wanting to use the property in a different way for themselves. Okay, so for uh, people who own property that want to get the most value out of owning that property, um, what does this ha- does this affect them that much? Well, I think it affects people on the margin. I've ultimately said that this bill is going to please nobody in the longer term, um, because for if you think of it from a tenant perspective, in areas where tenants are still seeing rent rises uh, that are perhaps above their earnings, but uh, below the cap. This won't actually make renting more affordable at all, so it have no effect on them. It will continue to the rent will continue to eat into families' incomes further, and with that affordability worsening, I think it's likely that tenant groups in future will demand even tighter controls. Um, of course, we know Oregon has a lot of bad housing policy that restricts the supply of housing, and this does nothing uh, to change that. In fact, on the margins, the restrictions on tenant evictions by shifting more risks of tenancy onto the landlords are probably on the margin going to hinder a new supply of, of rentable properties. Um, but for, for other people in other areas where the market rents really are spiralling, um, capping them in this way is going to dampen the incentive for developers to bring on board new supply new supply because it makes that new supply of property and providing rentable accommodation less profitable um, than before. Um, so that again is going to worsen the long-term supply impact. Now from the perspective obviously of of people who already own accommodation and are, are renting it out, on the margin, if you if you're in a market that's uh, demand is going up rapidly and market rents are increasing rapidly, and you're now no uh, no longer able to 
increase those rents in line with market demands, I think on the margin, you're much more likely to want to convert the accommodation into forms that will not be bound by the rent controls. Or or like sell it to a a single family that wants to live there. Exactly, yeah. So uh, Oregon, as you, you alluded to, they have lots of rules that are different than other states. One of those is... Uh, we've heard our colleague Randall O'Toole discuss, which is the urban growth boundary in Portland. Is that the only uh, bigger city in Oregon that has an urban growth boundary? Well, this is exactly right. The big problem in Oregon is that there is an affordability crisis. And I think that what the politicians were trying to do here was signal that they recognize that challenge whilst not actually implementing rent controls that will really bite hard and have the negative consequences that we've seen in the past. So yes, Portland is a city defined by demographia when it looks at um, median house price against median income of being severely unaffordable. But it's not the only city in Oregon defined in that way. Eugene um, is also defined as severely unaffordable and Salem uh, seriously unaffordable too. So uh, uh, Oregon's three biggest cities are three of the 30 worst markets for affordability in the whole of the US. And as you say, the key problem in Oregon is that urban growth boundaries create severe restrictions on um, development outside of cities. And that pushes demand into the urban areas, which drives up land prices within those boundaries. And uh, that means that it becomes more and more uh, profitable to try and build up to try and densify cities. But eventually you get to a stage where densifying can be very, very costly because of the high construction costs of using things like steel, which of course is becoming even more expensive with with steel um, tariffs as well. So Oregon has got a big affordability um, problem, primarily driven by these these urban growth boundaries affecting uh, affordability within cities. And rent control, at least the form that they've introduced here, is an attempt to mitigate against that uh, whilst uh, recognizing that rent control historically has been very, very damaging in terms of bringing on new supply. So the way that they kind of square the circle is by having this very, very high cap that, as I say, I think will ultimately please nobody. You you mentioned that uh, the policies that Oregon has in place and has just put in place with this rent control uh, will make nobody happy. But it seems like if you live in an urban center in Oregon and you own a home and you live in that home, uh, these regulations are meant to increase the value of your property. Well, that's right. There are certain people that benefit from um, the imposition of extensive regu- land use regulation, urban growth boundaries if you're already a homeowner. And one of the difficulties with undertaking any zoning or land use planning reform, which um, liberalizes uh, uh, land use around cities, is that one of the consequences one would imagine would be um, less growth in house prices for those who already own it within those urban boundaries. So that does create a political constituency which is resistant to reform. Uh, But in the long term, we know from evidence across the country that restrictive supply side policies on housing development over time adversely affect the economy. And, you know, as you as you have family members and people have children and grandchildren, uh, they want their family members to be able to um, live in affordable properties themselves. So 
Um, it's kind of quite short-sighted, I think, to to take the NIMBY position of of being opposed to to liberalisation in these areas. And homeowners vote. That's true. Homeowners vote. Um, homeowners are often uh, older constituents, and uh, older people are more likely to vote as well. So there's a, a double effect there. Ryan Bourne occupies Cato's R. Evan Scharf chair for the public understanding of economics. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.